The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. All right, guys. Sam Shaw here, founder of Wall Street Mastermind. Today, I want to talk about the investment banking working hours and whether it's really as bad as it seems. Um, At this point, most of you have probably seen the slide deck that came out of Goldman Sachs recently. Um, There were 13 analysts uh, that are currently working in the Goldman Sachs TMT group, which is considered to be one of the best groups on Wall Street. And uh, they apparently put together some slides, which were then posted on liquidity and a bunch of other uh, websites talking about how much they've been working, um, apparently on average 105 hours a week. Uh, And then on average since January, 98 hours a week. Um, 105 hours was the most recent week as of the time of the survey, which was back on February 13th of 2021, um, 98 hours a week since January. And, uh, on average, they sleep about five hours a night, right? And on average, they sleep at 3 a.m. Okay. So this obviously caused, um, a pretty big response everywhere, right? There were other slides included, uh, you know, such as how has this affected their physical and mental health, right? Rating their mental health before and after starting the job, going from an 8.8 down to a 2.8. It's a pretty big drop because that's on a scale of t- uh, 1 to 10, right? Uh, physical health going from a 9 to a 2.3, right? So this is obviously very concerning. Um, and then they had things like, you know, select analyst quotes, right? The sleep deprivation, the treatment by senior bankers, the mental and physical stress. I've been through foster care and this is arguably worse, which sounds horrible, right? Uh, I can't sleep anymore because my anxiety levels are through the roof. Uh, My body physically hurts all the time and mentally I'm in a really dark place. Um, Being unemployed is less frightening to me than what my body might succumb to if I keep up this lifestyle. Um, there was a point where I was not eating, showering, or doing anything else other than working from morning until after midnight. Um, I didn't come into this job expecting a 9 to 5, but I also didn't expect consistent 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. either. What is not okay to me is 110 to 120 hours over the course of a week. The math is simple. That leaves four hours a day for eating, sleeping, showering, bathroom, and general transition time. This is beyond the level of hard working. This is inhumane slash abuse, right? So I think for a lot of students out there who are not working in banking yet and they're seeing these slides, um, they're obviously wondering or you're probably wondering, uh, is this really the type of job that I want to go into, right? And you know, I just want to first start out by saying um, I really do uh, sympathize with these analysts because I believe them 
that they probably had it really, really rough, right? Um, 2020 uh, and even the beginning of 2021, which is the current year that we're in right now as the time of this video, um, has been just very strange in general, right? With the pandemic, with COVID, and the way that has affected our work. And so I would say, you know, it's just been an odd year. It hasn't been normal, right? Uh, the, back when I worked in banking, which is, you know, obviously a long time ago, like I graduated in 2008 during the peak of the financial crisis. And, uh, you know, I worked in banking for three years. I worked in PE for two years. Um, we definitely worked long hours. Um, in fact, I would say, based on my understanding, the most banking hours have actually been getting better uh, over the years uh, since we since since I've worked in banking anyway, right? And a lot of these banks have put in um, different po uh, policies and you know protect the weekends and things to try to make things a bit better for the junior people, especially um, and partially because you know they're trying to compete with uh, you know technology companies and a lot of these you know hot startups like banking used to be probably like the most desirable job coming out of college for a lot of students and then after the 2008 financial crisis it wasn't as popular anymore because there was kind of like this stigma with you know working on wall street for a while and then tech kind of became you know like i don't honestly like the up and comer but you know a lot of people started shifting over to tech you know, you hear about all these uh, tech startups that uh, blow up and go public and you get a lot of equity. And, um, and so that became pretty attractive. And, you know, they have seem to have a better culture. They treat their employees better. Right. And so the banks are trying to compete with that. So they put in like these policies, which, you know, how effective they are is probably debatable. Right. Um, but. You know, for for all intents and purposes, the data that I've seen tends to suggest that um, it's gotten better. And we'll look at some of this data in a bit here. But point being, like, first of all, if you're considering going into banking, is this normal, right? Is what you're seeing here on these slides actually what banking is really like? And I would say, no, it's not normal, right? In fact... Hopefully, in a, in a couple of months here, probably by this summer, if not by the fall, I mean, in fact, some firms like Goldman Sachs and several others have already said that they're planning on having this upcoming uh, summer intern class in the office in person, right? So I think eventually things will go back to normal. And what do I mean by normal? Well, the hours in banking are always going to be long, no matter what, right? I think most people who go into banking are aware uh, that the hours are going to be bad, right? But I think a big part of what made the hours more tolerable and made it a lot better was the fact that when you're in the office, you're not doing those hours on your own. You're not doing it by yourself. You're not working like on a bad week when you're working 100 hours, 100 plus hours a week, which will happen. Uh, it shouldn't be every single week, but it does happen, right? Especially if you're working on live deals and stuff. But when you're doing that, you're in the office with other analysts who are also working just as much as you are, right? So there's that camaraderie. It's almost like, you know, for those of you who have maybe pledged a fraternity before, right, or pledged a sorority before, and you maybe go through this really tough pledging process to cross into the organization, 
but you had your pledge class to go through that with you, right? Maybe you go through some of the really tough assignments and some of the really tough things you guys have to do together. And that builds brotherhood, right? Or sisterhood, or, you know, depending on if you're in a frat or a sorority. Um, And just having a group of people to go through that together with just makes it so much more bearable, right? Uh, Some of my closest friends that I've made after graduating from college uh, have been my colleagues from banking, right? And so that's why I say I really sympathize with this year's analysts because, you know, when they recruited for banking, which is, you know, probably a year or two ago, three years ago, whatever, um, there was no pandemic, right? This wasn't what they signed up for. And they didn't sign up to work from home on their own in their room for 100 plus hours a week and not be able to see anyone, right? So that's the first thing. So hopefully that will go back to normal once the pandemic's over. Um, The other thing is, you know, there's been this huge boom with all the SPAC deals going on, all the companies going public through SPACs. Um, And that's actually one of the big reasons why um, the TMT group specifically has been so busy, right? Because a lot of these companies that are going public through SPACs are actually technology companies, right? And that, again, I think is a bit of an anomaly. I mean, different people have different opinions about SPACs um, and about whether it's sustainable and whether it's going to last. That's right? it's a pretty controversial topic. And that's a whole other conversation that's outside the scope of what we're talking about today. But I do think that, you know, it's highly probable that the number of IPOs we're seeing that are going public through SPACs is not going to be sustainable. Like it's not going to continue to be this way forever. Right? I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know if it's going to be for the rest of this year. I don't know if it's going to go into 2022, but I don't think it will continue to be this way. It just, it just can't be. Right? Like there aren't that many quality companies that all deserve to go public. Right. And so I think those two factors, both the pandemic and the SPAC boom combined happening at the same time, have made ours a lot worse this year. Right now. That's so. So that's the first question was like, is this normal? Right. And I would say, no, it's not really normal. Um, Now. Is the culture in banking kind of what they're describing here though like you know does do you have to work longers yes uh, long hours yes you do right um is that ever going to change unfortunately no i don't think that's going to change right or if you ask like because look at the end of the day it's a client servicing business as bankers you work on the deadlines that are set by your clients not by you right and typically when your clients give you work they want to see it right away they want a quick turnaround Right. And your bosses, the managing directors and so on and so forth, a significant percentage. In fact, the majority of their pay is based on the deals that they bring in. Right. And so they're always eager to please their clients. Right. And so they want to turn things around quickly, too. So I don't think that's ever going away as long as you work in a client servicing business. Uh, Banking is not the only client servicing business out there. Right. You work in consulting, management consulting, you're doing client servicing you work in accounting, you're doing client servicing. If you go become a lawyer, you're client servicing. And so, you know, it's not just banking. That's just all of these professional client services businesses are just like that, right? Um, What would it take for the culture to change? 
Um, quite frankly, I don't know. I think what what it would take is like if people start feeling like there are other better career options out there, right? So I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you know, after the 2008 financial crisis for a period of time, the popularity of banking dipped and tech kind of came up, right? And in, in fact, probably I would argue for at least a period of time surpassed banking in terms of, you know, the job that pe- being the job that people wanted the most, right? And today, I don't know which one's ahead, but um, I would say, you know, they're, they're, they're both pretty desirable, right? Like I would say banking has kind of rebounded because 2008 at this point is, you know, more than a decade ago, right? So, um, but if there are no better career options out there, right? Like most people, the reason why they want to go into banking is because of the pay, is because it's prestigious, is because it offers the best exit opportunities in terms of your career uh, progression and your career trajectory afterwards, in terms of being able to go to the buy side, being able to go into private equity, being able to go into hedge funds, being able to work in venture capital. Like there are a lot of these jobs where you kind of have to go through banking first before you can even be eligible for those opportunities, right? And so that, I don't really see that changing. So as, as long as that is the case, there's always going to be a lot of people who want this job, which means if there are a lot of people who want this job, honestly, at the junior level, like you're very replaceable, right? Like if you don't want to do this job, someone else will, will gladly take your place, right? Most of the top banks today accept anywhere from 1% to 3% of their applicant pool each year, right? Meaning if there's upwards of 100 plus applicants for every job opening and you don't want to do it, someone else is going to do it, right? In fact, I think more people have been quitting this year, right, or quitting early this year because of all the aforementioned reasons that we already talked about. Uh, But also, and that combined with the fact that there's so much deal flow and there's so much work to do, we've been seeing a lot of these top banks um, uh, doing lateral hiring or off-cycle hiring or even for full-time analysts where they're typically done with full-time analyst hiring um, at the end of junior summer, right? Right when they get the return offers to their summer intern class, they know how many more full-time people they need. But this year we're seeing even like halfway through senior year and even some of our clients have been getting contacted by banks, even though they're like one to two months away from graduating senior year. And they're being contacted by some very reputable banks, like some of the top, I would say top three, top five banks, I won't say who, reaching out to them, asking them one or two months before they graduate if they want to come in as a full-time analyst. So like, that's very rare. My point is when these banks lose junior people and they have a need, it's not hard for them to just go out and find someone. They can just go hire someone who's maybe working at a smaller bank and wants to move up, right? Or someone who maybe hasn't even gotten into banking yet uh, and wants and wants to get in. Right. And so unfortunately, I don't really see this changing anytime soon. Um, And again, going back to that kind of fraternity uh, analogy that I made earlier, it's kind of like, you know, if you're getting hazed during pledging and then you become an active member of the fraternity and then a new pledge class comes in, you're probably going to haze them, too, because you're thinking like, hey, that's what I have to do to get in. And so a lot of these people that are in senior positions at these banks now, they're thinking, well, I had to work this much when I was 
coming up and like, this is how I got here. Right. Um, and, and most people aren't cut out for this. And that's why most people don't make it all the way to the top uh, when they're working in finance. Right? So that's kind of like how they're thinking about it. And so I don't think that culture is going to change because the culture comes from top down. Right. So I guess, you know, unfortunately, if you're hoping that um, something will change, um, I just wouldn't hold your breath. Right. I'm not saying I'm absolutely correct on this. Um, but if I had to put my money on this, I just I wouldn't I would bet against it. Right. Now, that's not to say that, look, the banks aren't doing anything. Right. Because I think. By the way, like I give these 13 analysts massive props for even doing something like this, because honestly, it takes a lot of balls, right? Like who knows? They could have gotten fired, right? They could have gotten um, retaliation from the bank, which it seems like they didn't, uh, fortunately, but they could have, right? I'm not sure, you know, most people would have had the balls to do what they did. Um, But because of what they've done, I have been seeing, you know, these are small changes and these are temporary changes. I don't think these really solve the root of the problem, but I, I have seen a lot of articles around banks giving, you know, special one-time bonuses, right? Extra $20,000 from Credit Suisse, right? William Blair, right? Um, What are they doing? You know, same thing, right? Special bonuses up to $20,000, right? There's this article here, um, April 8th, which is, you know, only from a few days ago. And they're tracking all the different banks that have come out and done something about what's going on, right? Goldman Sachs, right? David Solomon, you know, uh, promised that, um, you know, what, what do you say? Oh, yeah, he promised to, like, enforce, you know, their uh, weekend policies, right? Their, their junior bank is Saturdays off, right? Um, which, like I said, has been around but hasn't really been enforced very well, right? Uh, bank of America, right? One-time bonuses, right? Warbrick Pincus, this is more of a PE firm, right? Bumping pay up by 30%, right? Apollo, right? Um, same thing, right? Giving huge bonuses, right? Six-figure retention bonuses. Because a lot of their associates have actually been leaving. Seven of the 30 private equity associates in their New York office, along with one principal, have left in the last few months. That's a lot of turnover, right? So they're extending $100,000, $150,000, $200,000 bonuses for first year, second year, and third year associates, which is pretty insane, right? Think about how much money that is just to keep people around, right? Um, Apollo, by the way, is one of the highest paying, might be the highest paying private equity firm on Wall Street, okay? Um, there's also, what else? Credit Suisse, right? Same thing, $20,000 bonus. Jeffries, um, they gave gifts to their handlers, Peloton bikes or mirror home. Like you can choose what you want, right? Um, City, right? No longer doing video meetings on Fridays. Labeling the move Zoom free Fridays. I think that's kind of weak to be honest, but okay. Um, Molus, $10,000 allowance uh, to spend on something pertaining to mental health. So these banks, it's not that they're not doing anything, but they're just kind of throwing money at the problem and saying like, hey, here's a one-time bonus. Hey, here's a raise, whatever. It's like, because... That's pretty much all they can do. Right? I mean, it's better than nothing. But like again, I think there's very little that they can do in terms of the hours and the culture because they're not going to just stop responding to their clients' demands. And so all they can do is pay you more, right? Or hire more people. That's the other thing that they can do, right? Uh, so they might hire more people too, but we'll see. But you know, like they also have to um, answer to their shareholders. And so if they hire too many people 
and they become less profitable, their stock price uh, their stock price might go down. And guess who it hurts when the stock price goes down? The senior people at the firm, right? The management team, the people that are making the decisions, because a lot of their compensation is tied up in their stock, right? So all of these things are happening, right? Um, banks are trying to do something to kind of appease, you know, the people that are that are angry and that are working, but I think that's about as much as is going to happen, right? So now the question becomes, here's another article, right? Five-figure raises at Barclays and Bank of America. So the question becomes like, is it worth it, right? Is it worth it for you to um, go into investment banking, right? And that's a very personal choice, to be honest. You might think that, oh, because I run Wall Street Mash, I'm going to sit here and tell you, yeah, it's absolutely worth it. No, I think it's a very personal choice. It's not for everyone, you know, especially when it comes to things like, you know, mental health and things like that. Like if you already have some mental health issues or if you have the type of personality where um, working too much is going to make you have mental health issues. I don't think everyone's wired the same way, but like you have to know yourself um, well enough to make these decisions. Right. Like and I don't think everyone um I don't think everyone is like cut out, quite frankly, to work the type of hours you work in banking, right? And and also not everyone cares as much about, you know, making a lot of money, right? Making six, six figures out of school or not everyone cares about the prestige factor, right? Or the exit opportunities, right? Some people just value work-life balance more than anything else, right? And so that's a very personal choice that you have to make. But if you do decide that you want to do banking, um, you just have to go in with your eyes wide open. You need to go in with the right expectations, right? Um, and so in terms of like what the expectation should be, I think that in, in, a, in a more normal year, um, so I said we're going to look at some data. Let's look at some data, right? So this is from early 2021 before this Goldman uh, survey came out, okay? So <clears throat> from eFinancial Careers, um, they're actually saying Wall Street Oasis, but this is survey data, right? So on average, you're seeing the hours are anywhere from like the mid 60s up to like 80 hours a week. This is the average weekly working hours, right? For most of the bold bracket and elite boutique banks, you know, which are most of these are bold bracket and elite boutiques. I see a couple middle market banks in here, but I would say probably somewhere between honestly 70 to 80 hours a week seems to be the average, right? It's going to be in a pretty tight band right there. Right. And so that's more in line with what you should expect. And that's more in line with my understanding, too. And, you know, we've worked with close to 400 students at this point in the last three years. And a lot of them have gone to banking. And this is kind of in line with um, what we've seen. Right. And so are you OK working 70 to 80 hours a week? Right. That's not mean that doesn't mean 70 to 80 hours every single week. Like I said, some weeks are going to be better. Some weeks are going to be worse. Like if you have a live deal going on, you might work more than 80 hours. You might work 90. You might work 100. The, my worst week ever, I've worked 120 plus hours, right? So that can happen. But that's not the average, right? And then sometimes you're going to work less. Like I've worked 50-hour weeks before, right? I mean, it's rare, but I've worked 60-hour weeks before, right? And so it averages out to be 70 to 80 hours. And so you need to decide if that's worth it to you, Right. Um, for me personally, I can only speak for myself. Uh, I feel like banking was absolutely worth it, right? Was it hard as hell? Yes, it was when I was going through it, right? And were there a lot of sacrifices that had to be made? Yeah, there were a lot of sacrifices. And 
you know, like was it tough on um, my relationships at the time? You know, like my my relationship with my ex girlfriend and 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 the girls that I was dating at the time. Like, yeah, it was really tough, right? But um, do I regret doing investment banking in hindsight? No, absolutely not, right? Because um, it gave me the financial security that I've always wanted ever since I was a kid because I didn't have that when I was growing up. And so I was very motivated by that, right? And so ever since I graduated and I was able to start my career in banking, I've never had to worry about money ever since. And that's huge, right? Like that's worth a lot to me, right? You talk about mental health, like not having to be anxious about, you know, money um, when, when I had to grow up being anxious about money all the time, like that that's worth a lot to me, right? And I'm not saying that should be worth a lot to you. Like, again, it's a very personal decision. Everyone has to make the decision for themselves. But that was huge for me, right? And then, like, the career opportunities I've had since then, like being able to work in private equity, right? Being able to work for some of the the, the most successful um, tech companies out there, right? Being able to work at Square from their early days, being able to work at GitHub in their early days, having both of those companies have phenomenal exits, like Square going public and, you know, increasing their valuation more than 20-fold, right? And, and, and owning equity in a business like that. Uh, or <clears throat> GitHub 10xing their valuation when they get when they got acquired by Microsoft and owning a lot of equity in that like that that's the life changing amount of um, money that I was able to make right for just less than a decade's worth worth of work when, when everything was said and done like when you think about my time in banking and P and tech like it's probably about seven or eight years of hard work right so to me was it worth it yeah absolutely because now I have the financial security now I have um, what, what that does is it's not just like having money so you can oh, buy a Lamborghini or, you know, buy expensive clothes. Like, I don't really care about all that stuff. In fact, like I don't really spend money on a lot of expensive things. But what it does give you is um, freedom, right? Which is ultimately is what we all want is the freedom of choice. You know, the freedom to choose what you want to do for work, right? Because you have so many extra opportunities and everyone would love to have you, right? So there's a freedom to choose what you want to do for work. There's a freedom to choose like how you want to spend your money um, because you're not worried about where, you know, how, how you're going to pay the bills the next month, right? It's a freedom to choose like where you want to live. It's a freedom to, um, to, to it, it, the freedom of time, right? Like even like when you have enough money, if there's something that you don't enjoy doing, you don't want to do, you don't have time to do, you can pay someone else to do it, right? So at the end of the day, that freedom that I've been afforded because of what I've done to start my career, um, that's something that I've continued to benefit from even now, right? Even though I've been out of banking for so many years already, and I will continue to benefit from this, um, you know, probably for the from from now until until I, I die, probably. Right. And so in my mind, I always went into investment banking with the mindset of, hey, I'm going to put my head down for two to three years and just work my butt off, pay my dues, and then I'm going to reap the rewards forever, right? Um, so there's like an element of like delayed gratification there, which, um, you know, usually if you can kind of like pay your dues up front and delay the, the gratification, more often than not, in my experience, that's a good thing. Right. So again, that's just my personal opinion. That's my personal take. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Doesn't mean that investment banking is for you, but you got to do some serious soul searching to see like, Hey, is this something that I'm willing to put up with? Right. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be walking in the park. 
not everyone is cut out for it. But if you are cut out for it, and I know a lot of you are, um, then uh, it can be a very, very rewarding career at the end of the day. Okay. I speak from my own experience as well as having a lot of friends who also went through banking um, right out of college and uh, seeing where they are today and the lifestyle that they have. Um, to be honest, like it's pretty amazing, right? And I think a lot of people would envy uh, where they're at today. But, you know, people always see what's on the surface, but what they don't see is like the amount of work that they, that they had to go into it to get to where they are today, right? Like nothing good comes easy. There's always sacrifices along the way. So, you know, the way I think about it is, you can put in the dues up front and reap the rewards later and enjoy life later and have your life be easier later because of all the freedoms that I talked about. Or you can have it easier up front and have a tougher time later because you don't have those freedoms that I talked about, right? Because you don't have the financial security, right? Because you have to work longer until you can retire, right? Because like all of those things, right? So it's a trade-off, right? There's no... Um, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And you have to decide what's most important to you. Right. So anyway, that's my little rant on investment making hours. Hopefully you guys found this to be helpful and uh, that'll be it. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there. Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wall, stmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.